Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? I have an army. We have a Hulk. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Just bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from the ships. Because they knew death was better than bondage. a sacrifice blood. You're a laboratory experiment, Rogers. I put a bullet in my mouth and the other guy spit it out. The only thing living in this world will be metal. Nobody spills the secrets because nobody knows them. The city is flying. We're fighting an army of robots. And I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. I'm there popping, y'all! Get that on. Wow, this is awesome. Captain America. I know you too. You're great. The Under Channel. The Under Channel. Dr. Strange. Oh, you used to made up names. Um, I'm Spider-Man then. The Under Channel. You become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. Welcome, true believers, to the Under Channel versus the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is Robert Under at my side, turning knobs and man in the drops, Aaron. It's the Wi-Fi password. We're not savages. And our resident Dr. Nick, Steve. I have come to bargain. Today we're going to be talking Doctor Strange, released on November 4th, 2016 and directed by Scott Derrickson. Doctor Strange was the 14th film to be released and is the 18th chronologically. World-renowned surgeon Dr. Stephen Strange is lost and desperate after a tragic automobile accident causes him to lose the use of his hands. These movies have been talked to death, so we're not going to go too deep, but here's a couple points I'd like to discuss. Benedict Cumberpatch as Doctor Strange. Cumberpatch? Is Batch. I'm pretty sure it's Batch. Batch. It's Batch. It's one of the harder names to It's pronounce. not David Banner. At least you didn't David Banner him. Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. From a purely aesthetic point of view... He looks exactly like the character. I don't think you could ask for a more faithful-looking adaption of no, Doctor Strange. They nailed the aesthetic of what you, the fans would picture how Doctor Strange would look in the theaters. Yeah, it, I think it's the first time they've done it since Tony Stark. Yeah. Uh, so Doctor Strange, uh, well, Stephen Strange initially is a world-renowned surgeon, super arrogant. He is not only the best surgeon in the world, but he knows he's the best surgeon in the world and uh, is not afraid to tell anyone with an earshot. He's also really good at recognizing music. Is Doctor Strange the most naturally gifted human in the MCU? Hmm. From just a pure God-given talent perspective of the other humans. I think he's up there. I think he's probably right beside Tony Stark, side by side. Yeah, if you're comparing brain panels, probably right next to Tony Stark. The, the type of work he's doing, brain surgeries and spinal cord, and that's another level. That's another level of hearing, of being able to get into the body and mess with things where you probably really should stay out of. Stark was the only one I could really make the comparison to, but I think that Stark's wealth plays such a huge role into who he is that if you're going to be just looking at like the the natural ability edge, I think you would have to give it to Doctor Strange. I, I mean, the guy, he's got like an eidetic memory. I get it. Tony's an innovator and Tony, you know, he figures those things out. A lot of what Tony, I feel like Tony uses a lot more tools to make his deductions. He uses a lot more he's developed things those he, tools. Though. That's true. That's true. It's, that's it's a tough one because even they say it in the movie how did you get like that study repetition mm. and Tony he just naturally comes to him it seems 
I mean, he his father was that way, and you know, so it just seems like it's more of a natural thing that occurs to Tony. So it's tough to say like who really is the more brilliant mind between the two of them, but. Doctor Strange is able to unlock another door, a whole house for that matter, within his mind as well, though. So if you put it to the next level to where he learns the mystic arts, then maybe you can give the edge to Doctor Strange, Stephen Strange. We're going to talk about the accident, which caused him to lose his hands and sets him out on his journey. But real quick, I want to touch on the character of Christine Palmer, his pseudo love interest I mean because it's made pretty clear that they have a past relationship yeah. which has caused them to not be in in one now I believe this one and, and here's the reason I believe this relationship her character has no bearing on the results Result, of his life yeah. so all of these other movies we've seen the female character always plays some way into the overall fate of the superhero and that's just not realistic every single time it can't be like well we have one mega superhuman and then we have oh one normal person who has to play a role so it, i really liked that they didn't push dr christine palmer into the key to his story we did say he has the accident loses the use of his hands goes through every option available through western medicine to have them repaired to find a way to regain his abilities but is unable to ends up coming across that there was another man who was nearly paralyzed who eventually found the way to walk and this is what takes him out to find was kamartage 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 which is a martial arts training facility uh, run by the ancient one it's a secret society as well too and really how it seems and for anyone who grew up on kung fu movies this is when the movie really started to grow on you you start to see so many different classic aspects of kung fu movies you have the secret society of sorcerers you have an ancient one who's all-knowing and all-powerful what did you guys think of the kung fu spin that was given to this story it was the right way to go with the mystic arts and even the way that they present one of the characters the one-armed man or the one-hand man he thinks he's the grand master because it's that's just kind of the way you have it thought up in your head on a natural basis that this is very this type of thing would be that and then when he travels kamartage is it's in india so it seems like it would have all of those eastern religion type influences to it similar to what you would see in, in Chinese or Japanese or Taiwan you know whatever it is mm -hmm. so you would get that vibe definitely and then the types of weapons they're using you know staffs and bows different types of swords spears it, it's very feudal it seems I don't very, know how to yeah, explain feudal. it yeah. yeah that's a good way to explain it yeah and then just the art of the hand it makes you think of kung fu as well mm -hmm. so Steve what is your favorite artifact that was shown throughout this movie can a cape can be considered an artifact? I'm going to count the cape. Oh, the Cloak of Invisibility? It's not the Cloak of Invisibility. It has a real name. Levit no, the Cloak of Levitation. Cloak of Levitation. It, well, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. I thought, you just were talking Harry Potter. <laughs> the Cloak of yeah, Levitation. Yeah, the Cloak of Levitation. Yeah, I feel like it had its very fun personality of its own. It was so weird that it had a personality. It's yeah. the only artifact that's alive, no, apparently. I don't know. I guess maybe... They, they didn't go deep into it. Yeah. I mean, it, you see a couple of artifacts. I wish it had a mouth. and It was like his, it was like it his Karen, his Spider-Man suit. <laughs> Just starts talking to you. No, they, they did a good job with making those artifacts seem like something. Like the guy that has the staff of... Um, 
Oh, we're, we're never going to know them all. I'm yeah. going to make myself mad by not knowing because that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And the boots. Of, yeah, those were cool. Yeah. Those were actually like if I was going to want something from that world, I'd want the boots. Yeah, that's that's it basically a good one. turns everything into solid ground. That's basically what those boots do for you. You can run with sure footing no matter where you're at. It could be clear on all, you know, just space and you can run and and take steps. Those boots were cool. By far the coolest artifact in this whole movie was the crimson bands of Sidorak. Oh, that's what the I that Remember. trap that he throws on Asilius that like yeah. like bends all of his bones in the opposite direction that and holds him in place. Painful. Oh man, when he well, first off, back to your your favorite artifact, the cape. Remember, he was gonna grab some stupid like giant bowl or something like that, and the cape actually pulled him to grab those crimson bands. Yeah, when he threw it on that guy, I felt so bad for. Cassilius at the time. I was like, man, even even my worst enemy doesn't deserve this. <laughs> Stephen Strange, I want to say Tony Strange. Stephen Strange, his entire life was spent mastering some skill with his hands. He always believes it's my ability to steady my hands that makes me so great. So he really struggles with the idea of the hand is just a vessel for the magic. I mean, they show that with the one-armed monk. Because magic was something that was not truly introduced throughout the MCU leading up to this. Yeah, this is Marvel's first attempt at magic. They had to nail this because once you go down the magic road, you more likely will not come back. And I felt like this was a really good first step, especially when the Ancient One did to Stephen Strange, just, you know, that finger tap and mm-hmm. it just, just completely opened his mind to everything. Part of what you were talking about with the magic of the movie, Kevin Feige, Feige we're, we're terrible with names Feige. on this show. Feige. It's like that, that yogurt. What's that yogurt? Fadia? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, but he was talking about the magic of the film and what it needed to be, trying to say that you don't get into Harry Potter, but if a scientist went into Hogwarts, he would be able to find out you know, some of what was going on and, and actually explain it. And they decided they weren't going to spend a lot of time on that, but for particularly like a character like Strange, who goes from being a man of science to a man of faith, you know, is starting to traverse both worlds. You have no choice but to kind of start to delve into those nuts and bolts. The movie kicks us off with the mirror realm, which was a really interesting dynamic of, hey, how can you have giant magic battles and not have a ton of collateral, collateral damage, damage that we yeah. run into? The sling ring, though, actually had a bigger impact on what kind of fighting you saw. It wasn't just used as a portal to get someone from point A to point B. It was used, not really a weapon, but uh, the same way you would see it in, you guys ever played the video game Portal? Yeah. That same kind of dynamic where you would use it to misguide your enemy or you would throw them through to a different part of the room. It wasn't so much used to damage somebody as much it was used to make it more difficult for them during the fight. It was uh, other parts of the magic that were great too beyond just like the Inception style of the world folding in on itself was the way that they would use their hands to create shields and to create like Doctor Strange created some sort of weird, like, netting-type whip thing that he used. Mm-hmm. Some of the other guys, you know, were able to make it turn into whips or... Um, like a giant pickaxe? It wasn't yeah. even like, a, like an ice pick. Yep. That he used when he stabbed the Ancient One. Yeah, and, e- and even then, like, the enemies or whatever you would want to say, the villains in the in the show, they had shadow weapons, they almost seemed like. They, like, they looked like they were made out of, like, glass or mirrors, you know, types of things. It was... They did a good job of fascinating your mind 
to make you really feel like this was magical energy, magical entities that were at play. They checked off all of the basic boxes that that would have brought us out of the fantasy. Mm-hmm. Like there was enough logic behind what they were doing that it you didn't want to poke holes in everything. You were okay with a couple things maybe seeming a little aloof because you've already established, hey, well, this is a world of extreme sorcery. What do you guys think of the importance that astral projection played throughout this movie? It's how the Ancient One introduces the world, or introduces uh, the world of magic to Stephen Strange. The scene where he is actually kind of assisting in the own, his own surgery. Which was nuts. Yeah, and then, again, the Ancient One's death, where he is talking to her in the astral plane. Mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised to see them play with that as, as much, much as, as they, they did, did. Yeah. and to make it such a viable part of the story. Yeah, it was great, too, because you even have a pretty good fight scene between... Doctor Strange and whoever that lackey was. Yeah, Cassilius is lackey. Yeah. And even that was fun to watch because it was like, well, how how do you kill somebody that isn't a physical being? Right. You know, that's an they're a spirit entity at this point. And it was really neat how they they worked through electromagnetism, you know, to m- transfer between the planes of flesh and spirits. Yeah, I enjoyed that scene. It is a good job. Whereas she's doing the surgery to help him, things around the room are flashing on or you know being bumped into, and then for the you know him to be luring over her, saying "Do this, do this, be careful with this piece," and then to flash to just her by herself with the body in the room. Yeah, was such a good way to show this really could be happening around us right now, sitting in this studio, and we would have no idea. And that takes us to the big bad of this movie. Dormammu. Dormammu. Throughout the movie, we're introduced to Cassilius and the Zealots, which I, I thought that use of that word was awesome. That yeah. They didn't just call them cultists. They didn't just call them this. They called them Zealots. So religious fanatics for this, what was he, God of the Dark Dimension? How would you describe Dormammu? Just like a giant face in space. Yeah, he, he was like the ruler of the dark dimension or he was the dark dimension itself, it seemed. He's a cosmic entity that this is another time that the MCU is getting involved in that part of the storytelling between worlds and things that are and don't quite make sense. And he happens to be a being, an entity that is constantly hungry and he's eating worlds. He has his sights set on Earth as being a world full of life and he wants to you know suck it into the darkness basically yeah he's got a little ego to him yeah and there's there's so many other beings like this comic book wise that we're learning about through these movies now and the scope of what they mean and how they work can kind of alienate a casual viewer and Mm. a casual fan of what these of these movies so I think they did a good job of setting him up within this particular Doctor Strange film. I just don't think you got the full scope because in the end, he just ends up being like a face mm-hmm. that you see. Well, I would say I was a casual fan when I saw this in theater. And I remember how satisfying that ending was to see Strange catch him in that time loop. That was cool. Because this would have been the most cosmic character introduced when this movie was released. By far. And to see 
he wasn't tricked because they had to go receive some artifact from the other side of the galaxy or some new character did it. It really like we tricked him. We basically tricked this cosmic entity that is who knows how many planets and worlds he's devoured. And we just kind of pulled a fast one on him. And I, I love that it made a point of the only thing you could really do to a, a character that powerful is make him understand that time is relative to him mm -hmm. because he's lived a million lifetimes and it's never been a thing. But now he's got to relive the same moment over and over and over again. And that's the only thing you can do to a cosmic being like that is to trap them because you're not going to outlive them. You're never going to truly kill them. There's always going to be some fucking black hole that can piss them out or something. Or something. It just their power alone is, is too much to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with. And I think he just found the way to trick them, to slipstring them, to trap them, which is exactly what he did. He trapped them. And he just kind of had to drive them nuts. <laughs> All right, so before we go to the end, I want to touch on two things. What were your thoughts on the way the car accident was portrayed? at the beginning of this movie. It happened pretty quick. We didn't get to see a, uh, a healthy Stephen Strange for too long. Yeah, not for very long. But they He's really... He survived. Yeah, they really wanted to, like, emphasize that the accident was on his hands. And I think it just kind of made the whole thing look a little wonky with them using, like, the slow motion to show it. Oh, the dashboard coming on. Yeah. Hands. They had to show it. They had to show that something did something to his hands, not just a car crash, but... The way that the scene was filmed was pretty jarring. It just yeah. snapped right out of nowhere. And it's very... That's how it happens. You're not paying attention to the road. Or you're being too reckless. You're, but he was... Because that was when he was, like, at his most cockiness. He felt mm -hmm. like he... Like, he's just going, like, what? Over 100 miles an hour, just swerving all over the place. Yep. I, I mean... Like, you kind of see the accident coming a little bit. Mm -hmm. You're just like, oh, boy, here it comes. I thought it was... I don't want to say brave. That's not the right word for it. But it was well done the way that they took him from top of the world to like the depths of despair sitting in his living room with like all of his furniture sold off so he can continue his experiment. That all happened in like 15 minutes worth of time. Yeah. From the accident to him being recovered to him being desperate and saying that, you know, he'll try anything. I mean, they took him through hell that quickly and that's just the beginning of his story and he's truly sucked into his own ego at that point too because he just he doesn't even care like rachel mcadams character when she's basically trying to be everything for him he just completely pushes her out the door yeah he just says i don't need you yeah yeah There's that no was no point to you being around yeah well also that scene where you know he's like uh you know no one else could have done better yeah and this surgery is like i could have done I better done better what have you done to me? He was he was pretty full of himself. You have to think, like, I'm pretty sure he probably could have done better. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was, I was thinking the same thing when I was looking at his hands. I was like, yeah, dude, you... I don't think Stephen Strange ever walked away from somebody looking that hacked up. <laughs> but how many times did Stephen Strange have to deal with someone who had, like, that bad of an injury? Well, from the way I saw it, zero, because it sounds like he turns down anything that risks uh, and, being and, a failure. Yeah, his uh, record. He still had to get to that point to where he was that world-renowned surgeon. Though. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you're right. I think that happens a lot. A lot of those super surgeons eventually are like, mm, I gotta consider my reputation. Mm -hmm. Even that guy he contacted to help him was like, I can't do this for you. Mm -mm. My reputation, nope, I can't touch you. To close out the first part of the show, we've decided to feature a single piece of dialogue that we felt best captured the essence of the film. Allow me to paint you a picture. 
After struggling through the initial stages of his training, the Ancient One steps in to show Steven it's not about his physical limitations. My hands. It's not about your hands. How is this not about my hands? Master Hamir? Thank you, Master Amir. You cannot beat a river into submission. You have to surrender to its current and use its power as your own. I, I control it by surrendering control. That doesn't make any sense. Not everything does. Not everything has to. Your intellect has taken you far in life, but it will take you no further. Surrender, Stephen. Silence your ego, and your power will rise. Come with me. A person can last for 30 minutes before suffering permanent loss of function. Great. But you'll likely go into shock within the first two. What? Surrender, Stephen. How's our new recruit? We shall see. Any second now. If you enjoy what you've heard so far, our website is theunderchannel.com. More episodes are available on YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Over 21 movies in 11 years, the minds behind the Marvel Cinematic Universe have worked to craft one of the deepest interconnected film series of all time. It's time for Aaron to tell us just how Doctor Strange ties into the overall storyline by serving up some connective tissue. It is a back-and-forth, slip-ring type of moving around in this movie. Let's just start with what we talked about previously, the car accident and what led up to it. Dr. Strange receives a phone call from an assistant guy or whatnot, but he gives him a list of possible patients of what he can work on next. And I'm connecting these possible patients with previous Iron Man movies. So there was a man who had a spine crushed while testing out experimental armor. The easy answer you could say is probably what, Rhodey from Civil War mm -hmm. when he fell out of the sky? But who was taking care of Rhodey? T.S. Tony Stark was taking care of him. So my mind jumps to another person who was hurt in experimental armor. Iron Man 2, when Justin Hammer is trying to take Tony to task before the arms committee, Tony hacks the system and starts showing videos of other things going on, and one of them is Justin Hammer's suit, and it literally twists a guy all the way around. His top half moves one way, but his bottom half doesn't go the other way. Mm. Essentially, his spine was snapped. <laughs> that makes sense, because if it was Rhodey, it would have been a call from Tony Stark. Exactly. This one might be a little bit of a reach, uh, but they say that there is a girl with a brain implant that was struck by lightning. 
This throws me, and I'll reference this particular girl again in a few minutes, to Iron Man 3, one of the extremist uh, soldiers or hench people or whatever you want to say. All of the people in Extremis, they have had brain implants put in, and that's part of their thing to help. There's empty slots in the brain. And she flashes a badge during the Christmas scene when Tony's in that town. I forget where exactly they were at. Mm -hmm. And she's kind of kicking Tony's ass for a minute, but then Tony finds the gas line, opens it up, and then has the dog tags in the microwave, which explodes, and it sends her into electrical lines. Mm. And she gets electrocuted, and she's fried from there. So she's probably dead. But then again, <laughs> all those extremist people seem to have been healing themselves mm. if they weren't, you know, blown up. Throughout the movie, you're going to see the different places where they have their, um, what, what is the word? There's three of them. There's Hong Kong. Sanctums. The Sanctums. Okay, so the Sanctum in New York. You can see the Avengers Tower. So oh. you know you're definitely in a familiar spot when you see that. There is an artifact that he gets is Agamento's eye and that links you up with Thor because you hear that name in the first Thor movie especially as the camera follows one of the uh, soul Asgardians as they're walking through the treasure vault you see what is supposed to be the orb of Agamato um, which is one of those powerful relics that gets commonly associated with the Sanctum and Doctor Strange and all those guys uh, another thing is Team Thor part 2 was a special feature for this movie. And this is a little bit out there, but it's a continuation of the Team Thor while you were out fighting, which took place during Civil War. It kind of explained what was going on with Thor. I mean, obviously we know Thor was supposed to be out there finding Infinity Stones, but they also came up with this little fun tongue-in-cheek really? thing where Thor decided to go live in Australia, live amongst mortals. He had a roommate named Daryl. If you haven't seen it, look up Team Thor. Yeah, I'll put it at the bottom of this post. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Going into your end credits, there is obviously a very easily recognizable scene they did this in, uh, was it Ant-Man, where they took a scene out of Civil War and put it at the end credits? Well, they do this again, where they take a scene out of Thor Ragnarok, and they put that into the end credits of Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. And basically, it's him sitting down saying, hey, I, I keep track of dangerous threats to the Earth. You're not necessarily one of them, but your brother is. You know, so you get the idea that, oh, Doctor Strange and Thor... That's going to be our next movie. Something's going on that way. That was lazy. You think for so? For them to not introduce something or give something extra that they've done in every other movie so far. Like, why 18 movies in are you deciding to just throw a little tea? I don't know. I yeah. was really disappointed by... Because I watched Doctor Strange with Ragnarok, like, back-to-back. -back, mm -hmm. And once they got to that scene, I was, like, really hurt the the perfect record of those two me. You know what I mean? So then, how did you feel about the very end credit scene? Which was... Where they... Basically, they build the, the, the sequel for Doctor Strange. Oh, right. With uh, with him hunting down... With Mordo. Yeah. That was fine. Um, takes down Benjamin Pratt. Personally, I don't know Mordo's life, but I didn't see enough for him to make such a dramatic change from, like, calm-talking monk who's trying to, like, keep everyone calm to uh, walking around killing sorcerers, but... Whatever. I mean, obviously, it's apparently from in something. the comics, Mordo is Doctor Strange's Joker. 
Oh, yeah, I believe it. I'm just saying I, I didn't see enough character development just from that alone. Well, yeah. the movie's kind of rushed. It is. It, like I was telling you, it feels like Doctor Strange is over before you know it. Yeah. You know, but Mordo, he felt like he was betrayed. All this stuff was told. He he feels very much like Cassilius did. The uh, Ancient One is telling them all these things and teaching them a certain way. But at the same time, she's doing all those other things. But the reason it doesn't make sense to me is because he knows that people like Dormammu exist. Mm -hmm. So killing magicians doesn't change anything yeah. because magi magicians, at least from what he's seen, sorcerers, I guess you'd be a little more respectful. Sorcerers are doing a good job keeping Earth safe in some way. So just because one is bad doesn't mean I would... I don't see him changing his entire his life mission. His biggest thing is you don't mess with the natural order, though. Mm, that's true. So that's his, that's his hang-up, is when you messed with the natural order, you really went against his part of the religion. So he's going towards more of the fanatic style at this point, mm -hmm. you know, much like Ronan did in Guardians of the Galaxy. We don't quite see that development in Ronan's character, but that's essentially what happened. Ronan went from being, you know, one of the top accusers and had that role within that race, and then that became perverted at some point and he became a religious fanatic of the Kree, and he started off on his own faction to uh, basically just wipe people off the face of the earth. And I think Thanos definitely has something to do with that. Mm. We talked earlier about how Benedict Cumberbatch playing Doctor Strange was a perfect fit. There were a number of people to play the title role in the early development process. And many of them, even though they didn't get this role, they've also gone on to do many other comic book movies, whether it's Marvel, DC. Uh, running through the list, Tom Hardy was considered for the role of Doctor Strange. He Jared, went to be Venom, right? Yeah, he went to do Venom. Jared Leto was considered oh. for this. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Tom Hardy would have been a good no. one either. But not uh, Jared Leto. Yeah. It doesn't. Even, he looked too much. He looked like Loki. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, he goes on to become the Joker and I, Morbius, from what we're understanding, coming up soon. A couple other guys, Joaquin Phoenix who is going to become the Joker. I don't see him very much as that. Mm -hmm. This next one probably would have worked, Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke has a look similar to Cumberbatch, so maybe that one wouldn't have been too bad. When he shaved his uh, goatee, I, I definitely saw Ethan Hawke in that role. Nice. Right but he, I always think of Ethan Hawke as like a brown hair, blonde hair, and it doesn't really <laughs> fit for me. <laughs> uh, Ewan McGregor, Matthew McConaughey, Jake Gyllenhaal, <laughs> Colin Farrell, and Keanu Reeves. Pretty much anybody who was any, any anybody who was anything at the time, basically. But trying to think of those guys as Doctor Strange, Keanu Reeves. I guess you could maybe pull Whoa. it off. Colin Farrell, maybe as well. And Ryan Gosling rounds out your uh, top thought processes on who should play Doctor Strange. Benedict, uh, it was the first thing that came to mind. But For everyone, it, yes. But did they say why? Negotiations broke down. Uh, then other people had other ideas, things along those lines. People who other people have worked with in the past on other movies, you know. Plus, it's just one of those things where, hey, if Ryan Gosling calls and says he wants to read for a part, mm -hmm. you're not going to tell him no. You know, it's, it's like, oh, all these guys were really just had reads. Yeah. There is another reason. So okay. they're what is it? Uh, I'll just, I'll, uh, yeah, what the fuck is it? It's going to be an Easter egg. Yeah. Oh, let, let it be an Easter egg. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. All right. So that's going to end my uh, connective tissue that we got here for Doctor Strange. 
When Marvel launched the MCU, they redefined canon for every one of their characters. This version is now the public perception of Doctor Strange. John Q. Public won't be referring to the quarter bins when defending their favorite superhero's badassery. They'll be talking about these movies. But that doesn't mean the stories being told are original, so let's check out where the studios found their inspiration. Strange Tales, number 110 from 1963, first appearance of Doctor Strange, a sorcerer who enters the dreams of a man who's been complaining of extreme night terrors. Five issues later, Strange Tales, number 115, this is actually the origin story for Doctor Strange, nearly identical to what's presented in the movie. Right down to the story of the Ancient One being controlled by dark forces, all of that. They say that this is one of the most faithful recreations of a comic book origin of all these movies. Hmm. Doctor Strange Prelude comic number one from 2016. This is a tie-in comic for the movie which tells the story of the four masters of the mystic arts who are assembled as a team by the Ancient One. So this is when you get to see Wong, Cassilius, um, Dormu, all of those guys working together as protectors underneath the Ancient One. And then Doctor Strange Prelude comic number two, also from 2016. When those masters of the mystic arcs are overmatched, the Ancient One and her closest confidant, Mordo, get involved. So you just get to see all those characters introduced in a comic before the movie came out. Finally, Vincent Price, the iconic actor, was actually the basis for the original appearance of Doctor Strange in the comics, even receiving a nod in the character's full name. Dr. Stephen Vincent Strange. Mm. Half the fun of watching these movies isn't just what you should be paying attention to. It's the little pieces of fanfare hidden in plain sight. It's time for Steve to strap on his floppy ears and share some Easter eggs. All right. So Ben and Comeback was the first choice, was offered the lead role, Stephen Strange, but he turned it down due to his theater commitments playing Shakespeare's Hamlet, which was clashing with the film's proposed shooting date. Well, mm. So when the release date was pushed back from July 2016 to November 2016, he was able to commit to shooting. A true thespian. He's British, right? Yes. I've always thought he does a fantastic job getting rid of that accent. Most people do. Most most British actors can really pull off American. Yeah, they could do it a lot better than we try yeah, to do we their We try accents. to do their fish and chips, eh? Blimey! Oh. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Good job, guys. Come across the pond. So director... Where the Beatles, I... <laughs> So director Scott Dickerson is a big fan of Doctor Strange and spent his own money on a concept video he pitched to Marvel so he could actually get the job of directing the film. Nice. So you could tell that this um, that Scott really, really loved the idea of filming Doctor Strange and you see it in the film, like his vision coming to life. At one point, Doctor Strange considered using an axe as a weapon. This is an homage to the 2016 Doctor Strange comics where he was severely depowered and uh, wielded an axe called... I'm going to pronounce the shit out of this one. <laughs> Angronomus. Hmm. That sounds awesome. And now I'm going to be talking about the Stanley cameo in this movie. During a scene where Dr. Strange and Mondo are running from Kinsellus through the city, Dr. Strange tries to create a portal in order to flee, but Kinsellus turns the world sideways, sending Strange into a, a bus. When they hit the bus, the camera shows them up against the buses with the Stanley inside. Stanley is reading a book called The Door's Perception and Left, stating that that's hilarious. Stanley's laughing is a reference to the early in the film where Doctor Strange thought magic was nonsense and essentially just laughed it off. Hmm. If you enjoy what you've heard so far, our website is theunderchannel.com. More episodes are available on YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
The time has come for the Marvel Cinematic Universe Giant Size Trivia Challenge. Aaron and Steve will face off daily to determine who's really paying attention as they attempt to slog through these films. Scores will tally throughout the month, and at the end, whoever has answered the most questions correct will be crowned the winner, and the loser shall face punishment. So I have three questions. The first one will go to Aaron, the second will go to Steve, the third will be open to whoever answers first. I've given both the gentlemen a buzzer. Aaron, your sound is... Steve, your sound is... Where is it? <laughs> Where's your buzzer, man? <laughs> uh, I do need to hear that sound before the answer to that last question, guys. So, Aaron, name of the sportswear company who produced the athletic apparel worn by John Pangborn when first approached by Doctor Strange to ask how he regained his body functions. Adidas? It is an Adidas tracksuit. Absolutely. Oh, yes. <laughs> no. All right, Steve. Name of the song which is started by Billy when Strange requests a challenge round during surgery. Oh, I know. It's like it's 1977 or 1976. I don't remember what the song is. <laughs> well, that's incorrect. Oh, okay. Aaron? The Halls of Shambhala. Incorrect. It is Feels So Good by Chuck Mangione. Oh, it feels so good. Last question. I hope you guys have your buzzers ready. The Wi-Fi password for Kamartage, which was given to Doctor Strange. It was written on a scrap piece of paper, printed very neatly. I remember laughing at the joke, but I don't remember what it is. Well, that's incorrect. I, I nope. I ain't got it. I should have had it. Yeah, because you said it. Yeah, it was your that was your quote. Yeah, I, I think I made a point to remember it too. So is that a no but both of you? No, I got nothing. I got nothing. It is Shambhala. Oh, you just said <laughs> it just three said sentences it. ago. You said the halls of Shambhala. I was like, oh shit, he's gonna get this one. <laughs> Good job, Aaron. Ten out of ten. And with that, we end the show. But fear not, we shall return tomorrow with Thor Ragnarok.